begin. Welcome everyone. This is Recovery Dharma. My name is Julia and I'll be facilitating our practice today. On Wednesdays, we have this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to explore the wisdom of Roshi Joan Halifax, who is a Zen Buddhist and the abbess of Upaya Institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We have been exploring her book called Standing at the Edge on Wednesdays. And what I've been doing is reading just short couple of paragraphs from each chapter so that we can really have a slow, deep dive into her work. That particular style of study um, is inspired by the monastics at Sravasti Abbey, which is a Tibetan Buddhist monastery about an hour from where we are in Seoul Center. Um, and it's a place that many of us have been able to practice in, and they do this as well. They pick a book and spend years actually just slowly, slowly going through it. We have been studying this book probably for, I don't know, did we start last summer, low or the summer before? I can't even remember now. It's been a while. But we're finishing up the chapter on the cultivation of respect. And one of the things I want to preface about an edge state is this. And actually, Robin, when in our introduction, Robin was sharing a little bit about how um, she's beginning to experience the fruit of practice when things are going well to practice when things are going well, because when things are challenging, that's when the tools really get honed. That's when the practice really becomes tested. And an edge state, according to Roshi Joan Halifax, is just that. It's this place where if we go over the edge um, in our emotional mind state, in our body state, there are negative consequences. So, for example, when we're trying to cultivate compassion as an edge state, but we overextend ourselves, we experience compassion fatigue. So, if any of you are caretakers, you know what this is like, where you're busy taking care of everybody else, you've neglected yourself in that beautiful altruistic practice, and now your actions and reactivity may start to take on that flavor of fatigue, resentment, negativity. So then we come back over the edge to begin healing, begin discerning. The issue is if we get too far from that edge state, we get complacent, bored, stagnant. So we, it's always an edge state is always about getting close to the edge without getting too far away or going over the edge because that's the place where we grow. All right? We're beginning a whole new section, and this is on engagement. This is the section on engagement. And I want to read one line um, for this section. It's at the very beginning of the chapter. This is chapter 5. And Roshi writes, You cannot become enlightened by being busy. 
You cannot become enlightened by being busy. So let's just chew on that for a moment. And one of the things that I'd like us to do is we're finishing up this very long chapter, this very long arcing journey we've had on Wednesdays exploring the cultivation of respect and identifying the ways we are disrespectful or have experienced disrespect. Remembering, friends, that we have the capacity to be disrespectful. We have the capacity to be a bully, a tyrant, mean-spirited, and so forth. And the number one recipient of our disrespect tends to be ourselves. And one of the convenient things that we do is because we unleash this negative disrespect toward ourselves privately, we never talk about it, or we rarely talk about it, it becomes difficult to admit that we're even engaging in it. We normalize it. It's just the way we treat ourselves. No harm done. Until it spills out in all the little ways that it does. Another word for busyness in the Buddhist practice is distraction. You cannot become enlightened by being distracted. So this next chapter is all about the edge state of engagement. The active participation, the active ways that we are engaging the Noble Eightfold Path with particular respect to mindfulness and concentration. I'd like to read for you the very end of the chapter on respect from Roshi Joan Halifax because it is a beautiful reminder that the Buddha stayed engaged with Mara, the conditions of his suffering all the days of his life. Thich Nhat Hanh is famous for having described the Buddha waking up to Mara, inviting Mara in, Mara being all of our anguish, all of our aversion, 
all of our hatred, craving, confusion, every single thing like that is Mara. And the Buddha, instead of saying, go away, I need to try to get rid of you, as only Thich Nhat Hanh says, he said, the Buddha said to Mara, hello Mara, hello old friend, I know you. And upon hearing those words, Mara vanished. I know you, aversion. I know you, confusion. I know you, craving. I know you, challenging emotion. The only reason why we can say, I know you, with any certainty is because we've practiced. We've sat with those feelings. We haven't turned away from them. Instead, we've turned toward them. And by changing the way we talk to ourselves, by adding a tone of self-respect and self-regard, we begin to understand aversion. Tell me, help me understand you. Craving. What's behind you? Why have you arisen in my mind today? What is it I'm really feeling? Am I bored? Am I nervous? What am I trying to soothe? It's such a different way of working with ourselves and our habit energy instead of compulsively and neurotically reacting, oh my God, there's a craving, something's wrong with me, something's bad, this is terrible, I need to stop, oh no, oh no, oh no. This is an approach that says, whoa, hey, I do not like this, this is really uncomfortable. I am strong, I am resourceful, I see you grasping. I know you. I can be present for a moment. Each of us has, however, an inner authoritarian, an inner tyrant that's so quick to get down on us. What's the matter with you? I thought we were over this. I thought we were done with this. Roshi writes, Don't give the tyrant any delicacy to delight on. Be a fat-colored stone. I find those words just so choicely random. Be a fat-colored stone. Whether the tyrant is inside us or an external aggressor, we must first look deeply into ourselves. We can try to cultivate fearless compassion for the tyrant's suffering and delusion. 
We can thus gain the insight we need to avoid feeding our own oppressive states of mind. We can also cultivate compassion for ourselves and appreciation for our strengths. When our self-respect is strong, we don't need to denigrate others, including ourselves. When we are standing at the edge, tilting toward the abyss of disrespect, our feelings of discomfort can be enough to make us turn inward. And here, friends, is where the Buddhist practice is so powerful and unique. Here in the West, we have a society constantly conditioning us to say, Ooh, you feel bad? Let's hurry up and get away from that badness, that discomfort. You feel discomfort? Here's something to alleviate your discomfort. There's so little that says, can you get curious about what's causing the discomfort? What is that all about? The Buddhist practice says, I see you discomfort. I want to understand you a little. I want to know you. So we have to turn inward. When we do this, with compassion and curiosity, the most extraordinary thing happens, which is that when our gaze turns outward and external, we begin to offer others that same compassionate curiosity. When we see someone else in distress, we can see ourselves so clearly in them. I see their confusion. I can be present to them. These experiences, Roshi writes, can be a doorway to shifting our habitual responses to learning skillful and compassionate communication and to realizing the healing power of interconnectedness with our fellow humans and all beings. As we learn to elevate others, we also elevate ourselves. When we elevate ourselves, by extension, we elevate others. We are on the journey of recovery to rediscover, reimagine, uncover our true selves, our Buddha nature, which has the propensity for all kinds of habit energy, all of it motivated from grasping toward pleasure and wanting to avoid pain. The practice is to recognize the habit energy arising create enough pause in our reaction to it that we can get curious. What is going on here? 
I feel the desire to act out. Huh. Would you look at that? I wonder what's going on. There's no judgment here. There's no reason to add disclaimers. I'm such a bad person. I'm a weak person. I'm so unskillful. I'm simply working with habit energy and getting curious about it. And I am changing the way I talk to myself. I'm changing the way I know myself. And this is a highly active, engaged practice. There is nothing passive about this. It's big effort. The beauty of this, however, is that it keeps feeding itself. The more effort you make toward understanding, the more understanding you have, the more reinforcing it becomes. The positive fruit is so enduring. It's so lasting and sustaining. It makes the effort such a worthy endeavor. You cannot become enlightened by being busy. You cannot become enlightened by being distracted. Come home to yourself. The Buddha nature that you are excavating is a treasure to behold.
Um, okay, friends, let us uh, end with a dedication of merit. So, the most recent edition, <coughs> edition of the Buddha Dharma book, it's all about uh, Nalanda, which is the ancient university of Buddhism. And one of its most famous students, Shantideva, in the 8th century, had this extraordinary teaching on how to be a bodhisattva, the way of the bodhisattva. The bodhisattva is a person who is intentionally practicing in such a way that they understand their own conditions and causes of misery and suffering well enough that they can see it arise and manifest in other living beings. And because a bodhisattva knows how to bring healing and transformation for themselves, they then are devoted to bringing healing and transformation to others. There are several vows to this practice which I have reimagined, and I'd like to read them for us today as our dedication to all living beings everywhere, particularly those who are suffering with substance use disorder, maybe they're in jail, Maybe they're in the hospital. Maybe they're on the street. The drugs that are on the streets right now are incredibly dangerous, deadly, in fact. And they are really, uh, well, they're shelling people from the inside out. People are shells of themselves. And it must be a miserable way to exist. All beings know pain and confusion. I vow to bring ease and clarity. The ways of delusion, rejection, and diminishment are endless. I vow to be spacious for healing and transformation. The paths of truth are infinite. I vow to joyfully devote myself to their realities. Awakening to the wholeness of life is a sacred purpose. I vow to embody it. For as long as space remains, for as long as sentient beings remain, may I too remain to dispel the misery of the world. Friends, that is precisely what your practice inspires. The healing and ease of misery. Thank you for bringing it here today. We'll see you next time. Namaste.